Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long Jr. Welcome, and I've called this Sundays in the Psalms, and what I'm hoping is going to happen is that every Sunday we'll just come, meet, to work through a psalm. Sometimes it will be a smaller psalm. Sometimes we may have to break up a larger psalm over a couple of times. But just to sit down and try to learn about the psalm itself, learn about what it's teaching us, learn about what it's teaching us about God, what it's teaching us about ourselves and how we live and learn, and then to be able to personalize. Because scripture is not just to be learned, it's supposed to be applied in your lives, to understand that God is speaking to you and he's talking to you. He is ministering ministering to you uh, by his Holy Spirit who wrote these words. There were human authors that penned these words. They pen these words sometimes in the deepest trials of their lives, the deepest struggles. Some of the times you're going to hear about fear. Sometimes you're going to hear about depression and despair. But what you're going to hear over and over again is that there is a faithful God who is there with them. So, I just want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, give you a little bit overview of the Psalms. You may know that already. Then we'll work through your PowerPoints that are there. And then we'll spend the time looking at Psalm 1 and using the principle that I tend to use in my study. There are three key things that I want to see come out of the Psalms study and any study is that I want to learn about God. If any of you are in relationship or all in relationships in some way or another, the more you get to learn about somebody the more you spend time with them. You start to learn about the way they think. You start to learn about the way they feel. You you see how they act. You see what encourages them, what discourages them. You start to learn about that person that's in your life. But once you do that, now you go to a place where you start to love them more. The more that you get to know somebody, the more that you learn about them, you start to love them even more deeply. And then there's this desire deep down that you want to start to live like them. You want to start to model yourself after the person. So those three elements, learning about God, loving God, and living like God is is the same thing that happens in horizontal relationships as it does in this spiritual relationship. Now, the Psalms are uh, this wonderful songbook. Uh, that God has given us. A lot of churches today don't use the Psalms in their services any longer, which is sad. The Psalms were the songbook of Israel. And each one of the Psalms were written by several authors. And a lot of times these Psalms were their journal. As they were going through difficulties in their lives, they would write down their journal in their journal and They would write down the struggles, they would write down the despair, they would write down the struggles that they were having in their lives, and they would be talking to God as they would look at life. So I'm going to encourage you as we go through this to to keep a journal. This is mine. And in this journal goes pretty much wherever I go. And I have the notes from our sermon this morning in here, prayer requests, things that I'm learning in my own personal study go in this. Struggles that I've had will go in this journal. I I would encourage you to do that because the Psalms are that way. When we look at the Psalms, you will see Psalms of praise. You will see Psalms of distress and lament. There are actually 67 lament psalms. So you could hear about the struggles. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. What? 
I have overcome the world. But he did say, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Paul talked about suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. We live in a world of pain and suffering. So there's 67 Psalms of Lament. They're imprecatory Psalms. Those are going to be hard for us to deal with, especially in our modern thinking. And imprecatory Psalms are where God, God is being called to judge and condemn people that are treating these writers wrong or the people wrong. Now, these writers only had a shadow of what God was going to do in Christ. We look back now at what Christ has done. And Christ told us to be able to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. But it is absolutely right that these imprecatory psalms are there because God is a God of justice and God is a God of wrath. And we need to understand that. There are psalms about the Messiah, messianic psalms that foretell of Christ. There are psalms of enthronement that talk about God as king and ruler. There are there's psalms of wisdom. There's psalms of trust that I want to put my whole confidence in you, God. Uh, so it's amazing uh, the number of different psalms that are out there, and we'll go through a number of them. And if we actually did one every week, it would take us almost three years to go through them, but we'll see. Most people think of the psalms as being written by David, but I don't know if you know that he really only wrote 73 of the psalms. Asaph wrote 12 of the psalms. The earliest psalm in there is Psalm 90, which was written by Moses, and Psalm 90 was written by him. There were 11 psalms written by the sons of Korah, and there were a number that were written by two that were written by Solomon. The sons of Korah were temple musicians. So was Asaph. The psalms are broken down into five books. Uh, The first book is Psalm 1 through 41. Most of those psalms were written by David, and those psalms are talking about God as the, but it will also talk about the trials and the distress uh, that people are going through. But at the end of that, they are going to celebrate the God who is the saving God. You will see that in a lot of those Psalms in Psalms 1 through 41. In book 2, Psalm 42 through 72, the sons of Korah are going to write a number of those Psalms. And once again, they're going to look at the God who delivers his people, which is amazing. Book three is going to pick up Psalm 73, which is actually one of my favorite Psalms. Uh, If you stay around long enough, I want to skip ahead to 73, but I'll pace it out. So 73 weeks from now, if you're still here with me, the Psalm began with Psalm of Asaph and uh, the stress and the struggles. And he looked around at this world and he says, whom have I in heaven, but you, and I have nothing on earth. I desire besides you, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you're the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Asaph wrote a number of those Psalms, Psalm 73 to Psalm 89, make up book number um, three. A lot of tribulation. During that area, we get to Psalm 88 is, some would say is one of the darkest Psalms. There is, most of the Psalms will have uh, this struggle and then you go up and you look at how God is amazing and the hope that they come out of it. Psalm 88, there is no basic hope that comes out of it. It's a dark psalm. Book four picks up 90 through 106. And as I said, the oldest psalm is book Psalm 90, written by Moses. He picks up the beginning of that, and it's the fact that God is with his people. The Lord reigns, and he's with his people. And then the final, book five, picks up Psalms 107 to 150. There are 15 Psalms of Ascent. So as the nation would be going to Jerusalem for the festivals, they would be climbing up to Jerusalem. And as they were ascending to Jerusalem, they would be singing a number of these Psalms. 150 Psalms in total. I don't know how many of you know what the longest Psalm is. 
119. 119. That, how quick they are. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, and that is picked up in book number four. Turn with me to this idea of meditating. You'll see that as you flip over the first page, the back of the first page. So as I said, one of the things I like to do, I like to roll around a passage in my head. You will actually see in a moment the form. I usually print out my study in a Word document and I will have notes. I put it in, I triple space it so I've got a lot of room and I write notes all over the place as I try to meditate, spend some time doing it. The meditation portion picks up this idea of pondering rolling around, stirring things around in your mind. If I had a candy jar in front of me right now, and I, I like these little starlight mints, all those peppermints. If you were to pop one of those in your mouth, most people will allow that mint to roll around in their mouth until the saliva starts to break it down, and then it goes inside their body. Some of you are not patient enough, and you'll just crunch it. <laughs> but whatever it is, you roll that thing around over and over again, until it dissolves within you. And I want you to think about taking God's word in the same way, rolling it around in your mind. A lot of devotionals today are five minute devotionals. I'll read it really quick. I did my thing and I checked that off the list. That is not meditating. Meditating is really taking a passage of scripture and rolling around, looking at each word and trying to figure out different elements, identifying an outline and growing and changing. Second is personalizing it. You got to make it you. Turn the verse around as though God is speaking to you. Now, there are clearly times that verses are written to a specific people, but in general, the principles can be applied uh, to all people. And then pray it. Oftentimes, people struggle with, I don't know what to pray. Take the words that you've just watched and read and turn that into prayer. It's an amazing thing. There are three principles that you'll see here that I'm going to be asking you to try to apply even tonight as we do Psalm 1. Praying the Psalms. First, I want you to simply pray some of the petitions that are there in the Psalm. So, we're going to look at petitions or statements that are in the Psalm, and all you're going to do is you're just going to pray those back to God. So, your words are going to be very closely the words of God. So, we'll show you how to do that when we look at Psalm 1. So, we're just taking a line that is there and we're praying that directly back to God. A second way in the next step would be to take that statement and then turn it into a petition to God, that God, would you do this for me? Would you respond to me? Please make me fruitful, Lord. So now you're taking the general words, but now you're adding your own words to it. So it's not just the word for word, now I am praying this back to God, but I am making this in some way a prayer request to him. And the final way, third, is to praise God, to repent to have some supplications based on the statements in the psalm. And in doing that is much your own words. So first way is that we're just taking the specific petitions, praying it to God. Second, we're taking these petitions and turning it into our own words, praying it to God. Third, we are finding ourselves repenting. We're asking for supplications or specific petitions to God. And as you do that, as you roll this over in your mind, this becomes huge. Flip to the last page. So when I do my studying, there are six things that I usually try to do in the study. And I'm going to ask you to consider trying to do this in your own personal study and then with this psalm study. First, 
you need to read the passage several times. So as we were preparing for this Galatians study, Tim, Doug, and I were um, praying through what we should be doing next, and we talked about doing the Galatians study. Months ago, I started reading through Galatians, and I would read through Galatians day after day. You can't just read it through once. And even though I was going to preach four of the 12 messages that we may have had in there, I was reading this book over and over again, day after day. I want you to do that when you think about the psalm. Second, I want you to try to think of a main theme. If you could put the theme or the the principle of this text into one sentence, I want you to try to do that. In fact, if you noticed on your sheet, I left you a blank line up top. I want you to put it into your own words. If you get a Bible, a lot of times they have headings and notes in there. I'm not looking for you to have somebody else's. I want this to be yours, what God is doing. Third is outlining it. I'm going to try to help you to outline the passage. When you're done, you may wish to give a title to it. As uh, as you will see, a number of the chapters in the Bible have titles. Create your own title. And now, turn this into a prayer. Look for Christ in it. Christ's name is not going to be listed in any of the Psalms. But Christ is talked about in the Psalms. In fact, when Jesus Christ walked on this earth, he often talked about the Psalms referring to him. So not just the Messianic Psalms, all the Psalms in some way or another could be focusing on Christ. I want you to think about ways that I could pray this Psalm back to him, that I am blessed today because of what Christ has done for me. Pray it back to him. And then finally, some meditation thoughts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You may be familiar with the ACTS acronym. I want you to take the Psalm and think of ways that you can adore God, where areas where you need to confess, places where you can be thankful, and areas that you can offer some level of supplication. So that's what I want you to try to think about doing as we do our study week after week through the Psalms. Now, some of you are going to be able to make it many weeks, and some of you are going to have to be in and out. That's okay. Just know we're going to keep going Psalm after Psalm, and just keep going in your own personal study. So let's look at Psalm 1. Using those principles that we just talked about, let's look at Psalm 1. Let's read this together. I use the ESV version of the Bible, so your version may be a little bit different. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. So, Father, as we open your word here, I pray that you would teach us about the blessed life. Warn us about the wicked life. Teach us how we can be flourishing and fruitful in our lives. Help us to see your Son as the only means of our blessing. Fill us with your Spirit, who is the author of this scripture, and help us to bring glory and honor to your name. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 1 uh, brings up two people, two paths, 
and then two destiny. Two people, two paths, and two destinies. So the two people are pretty easy. It is the blessed person and the cursed person or the wicked person. This psalm is intentionally placed at the beginning of the Psalter. And I believe it's intentionally placed at the beginning of the Psalter because it is speaking of meditating on God's word, knowing that there are only two people in this world. We may look different externally. We may speak different in language. We may have different cultures, but we are, there are only two people in this world, those that are blessed by God and those that are not under his blessing, those that are cursed. Psalm 1 talks about a God who knows you. Psalm 2 is another entrance in which we'll do, Lord willing, next week, a God who is reigning and ruling. Psalm 2 talks about the evangelistic. You need to kiss the sun. Psalm 1 talks about those who know God versus don't know God. And the outline is pretty simple, at least the way I outline it. Psalm verses 1 through 3 make up the blessed life, and verses 4 through 6 make up the cursed life. So let's look at verses uh, 1 through 3 and try to identify some of the elements of the blessed life. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. He begins by pulling out three things that this person does not do. There's a way that this person is separated from the world. And this is a key element for believers. We are living in the world, but we're not supposed to be living of this world. We live in the world. We will go to work tomorrow or go to school tomorrow in the world But the reality is that our bodies are there, but our lives, our souls, and our spirits are supposed to be connected to heaven and to Christ and to the Father. So there are only two ways and two people. So he says, I want you to start by thinking about the person is separated from the world first by the fact that he walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So I spend a lot of my life counseling people. And when people walk into my office, what they're doing is they're looking for me to give them help in their mindset and their behaviors. So what the writer here is saying is that first, the person who is a blessed person has separated himself from the world because he does not walk in the counsel of the world. He rejects secular thinking. He rejects worldly counsel. He has a mindset and a worldview that is focused on God and not of this world. Far too many Christians find their counsel from the world. They will go to books or they will look at the latest person who's teaching and they think that they're going to be able to find fulfillment from this world. You can't. But there's a second thing that this person does not do. He does not stand in the way in the path of sinners. So if the first one, the counsel is the beliefs, this one seems to be the more behaviors, the activities that this person do, the paths. He says, I do not stand in the path or in the way of sinners. He refuses worldly activities. He is not going to focus. He's going to go contrary to what the world says, because what the world is attempting to get us to do is going to go contrary to God's law. This person is not going to be focusing on what the world's counsel or the world's lifestyle is. They are going to be focusing on God's. But then there's a third thing. Not only do they not walk in the counsel of the unworld or stand in the path of sinners, they do not sit in the seat of scoffers. If you notice, there seems to be a progression here. When we are walking along, if you even know it, you may be walking along with somebody and having a conversation with them. And then eventually you start to get really uh, intensified in that conversation. Then you stop. And now you're talking to one another and you've stopped. 
But now it's like we've really gotten engaged. So now what do we want to do? We pull up a chair and sit down and you could see the downward progression. I'm walking with sinners and getting their counsel. Now I am doing their activities by going in their ways. And now I'm sitting down and following their paths and I'm actually bantering. So if the beliefs and the behaviors now become the banter of this world, if you turn on a TV today, late night TV, you will hear cynics and critics that will rip apart things that we believe. You turn on award shows today and they mock people of faith. I will often say to my people, it's like who, who love watching TV programs, I want you to tell me the last time you saw a believer on a TV program, a popular TV program, viewed in a God-honoring way. Somebody that is not a nut somebody that is not crazy, somebody that is not a lunatic, somebody that is like you, somebody that is stable and balanced and loving and caring. You just don't see that in the world because the critics and the banter of this world is looking to scoff and spit in God's face. And then what do we do is we take it in. And when was we've, as we watch these shows, we're meditating. Yeah. So the first thing I want you to know is that the blessed man is separated from this world. But there's a second thing I want you to know about this blessed man. This blessed man is satisfied. This blessed man, it starts by saying, blessed. What does blessed mean? Happy. 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 Joyful. This blessed man is finding his or her rest in God. It's a genuine satisfaction. It is this happiness that is supernatural, not just a fleeting happiness. This is deeply rooted. It is a life of contentment. So this separated person is also a satisfied person. He is a person that is deeply in the inner part of their soul, just at peace. It doesn't mean that there's peace around them. In fact, there may be great struggles around them, but their feet, I often tell my clients, I want your feet to be firmly planted on truth. And as this person's feet are firmly planted on truth, what we find is that this person is deeply contented in their lives. It's like a flowing river in their lives. They are blessed. Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which trans understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So this person is a separated person. This person is a satisfied person, but this person is also a saturated person. What are they saturated in? So if the three negatives are, he does not walk, he does not stand, he does not sit, what's the positive that he does do? Verse 2, he delights in the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night. So there's this element where he is so saturated with the word of God. It is totally different than the what life of the wicked. In Ezekiel chapter 36, it talks about the fact that God is giving us a new heart. He's removed the heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. And he says, I've caused you to walk in my ways. God is doing this work in this person's life. He has moved him from being wicked to being a person who's blessed by the initiative of God. And now he's given him his word and he is saturated. This law, some have debated whether it's talking about the Ten Commandments or just the books of Moses. I believe that as the writers were writing, they were probably thinking about the first five books of Moses. But I believe that as the ultimate writer, the Holy Spirit, when he talks about us meditating on his law, I believe he's talking about us meditating on the scriptures. 
Old and New Testament, meditating on these scriptures and rolling them around in our minds and our hearts. So I wonder, what do you meditate on? Do you actually delight in God's word? I had talked about learning God and then loving God and then living like God, but that loving element comes from learning about God. I had a friend ask me this week about, is this just a duty? How do we move from duty to delight? And I think we move from drudgery to duty to delight, drudgery in the fact that I don't want to do this, to duty, I really need to do this, to delight as I spend time in it, and the Holy Spirit starts talking to you deeply. I think it moves to a level of delight in life. As you reflect upon this, as you turn this over in your mind, as you ponder it, as you do this on an ongoing basis, not just for five minutes in the morning, but it says all day, every day, you're making scripture the central focus of your life. And God says it will not come back void. It will bring about the blessing. One, one pastor had this quote. He says, our Christian lives will grow in direct proportion to the intake of God's work. Our Christian lives will grow in direct proportion to our intake of God's word. And, and the reality is that some of us don't spend any time in God's word. I like actually having my Bible. I'm not trying to pick on the electronic Bibles today, but I like to be able to hold the paper in my hand. I love to be able to write my notes in it. I love to have my own journal that I can take this in deeply. I think it's so important to be able to roll this around. He's separated from this world. He has been satisfied. He's fully saturated the fourth thing I want you to think about is that there's a, the, this blessed person is secure, and I, I find this in verses 3, and it says this, he or she, I should say all of these he's can be translated she as well. This is the blessed believer. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. When you think of a tree, you think of a tree that is usually firmly planted. It usually has deep roots, and you will see trees that oftentimes will go through storms, and they will go back and forth, and you could see them going back and forth. Every once in a while, a tree will go down, but for the most part, most of these trees stand firm because their roots are deep. And so I want you to think of the fact that you are a tree firmly planted. In, in Jeremiah chapter 17, if you get a chance this week, go through that passage, verses 5 through 10. It talks about two different types of trees. It talks about a tree that is like a shrub in the desert and has no fruitfulness. It's not flourishing. The sun comes on that tree and it, it's withering. And then it talks about a second tree, and I think it's getting this element from Psalm 1, the second tree that's planted by the stream. It doesn't fear when the storm and when the sun comes because it is constantly being nourished. So I want you to think of your life as starting out, because all of us started out like this shrub in the desert, dead. And what God did for us is he transplanted us. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did was he took that shrub in the desert, he took you up and he planted you in his son. And right next to this stream, this constant stream, this never-ending stream of grace, God's grace to sustain you, God's grace to secure you, God's grace to sanctify you, God's grace to change you, he transplanted you, and now you went from no fruit to fruitfulness. You went from dead and wilted to living. You went from the wilderness to the stream. 
And this stream is plural. It's abundant streams. This stream will never, ever end. No matter the struggles that you're going through, no matter the difficulties, you are firmly secure in Christ. Abundant supply. Jesus says, I have come to give them life and life to the what? Abundant life or full life. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. My cup, Psalm 23, my cup runs over. That's the grace that God wants to give you. I want you to hear that. He talks about that your leaves are constantly green. That there is, this is not the typical tree. There is, I I love the changes of seasons in the Northeast. But if you really think about it, the changes of seasons in the Northeast are all about death. A leaf that was vibrant, green, months ago, is now turning brown, turning orange. It's going to fall off, and it's going to be burned up. And so those beautiful changes of the seasons are all focusing on death. What we want is a tree that is never going to change colors. It's going to ever stay green, and it's always going to be producing fruit in the life. That is the blessed person. That blessed person can go through any challenge and find themselves comforted by God, any adversity, and still find themselves prospering in God. This vibrant life, this full life, and it says in all he does. It doesn't just say that you're vibrant, but in all he does, in school, in work, in everything he does, he prospers. Not material prosperity, that's what the people today will say. This is a spiritual prosperity, this internal blessedness, this peace, this joy, this hope that is so deep. It's yours if you're in Christ. Okay, I spent a lot of time on blessed. Let's talk about the wicked. Verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Sometimes we are afraid. I had someone say to me that they were afraid to speak up about the gospel at somebody's deathbed. And they were afraid of the fact that they were going to evangelize and that this person was not going to accept it. And so they let the pleasure of man or man-pleasing issues, fear of man to get in their way, and they didn't tell the gospel to the person. When we read the scriptures, don't have any fear of man. They will just tell you like it is. And it says the wicked are not so. Now, we don't have this in our culture as much today, but what they would have is the grain would be put on the threshing floor would be the highest place in your land. And you would have this floor and you slam the wheat against the floor or you would have animals walk over that. And what you're looking to try to do is to separate the outer shell from the wheat. And then what they would do on this threshing floor is they would get something like a a rake or a shovel and they would throw the wheat up in the air. And what would happen is that the chaff would blow away because there's no substance, there's no depth has no vitality, it would blow away, and then the heavier grain would fall to the ground. That is the symbol of the non-believer, the unconverted person. It's barren in their sin. There's no fruitfulness in their lives. This chaff is empty. It has no value. It has no meaning. It has no purpose. And what the writer is saying is that the wicked are that way. 
that the richest people in this world, and you could look at the Forbes magazine, the top people in this world with all the materialism and all the things that they have. I could look at Hollywood and look at some of their um, programs and their awards things, and they, they can come across, and they're so beautiful externally, and they have so many fancy things, but their lives are meaningless, fruitless, and it will be blown away like that. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff. And he says, finally, verses 5 and 6, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now, don't mistake this. It is not saying that the wicked will not stand before the judgment seat. They will appear before God. They will not be able to stand approved. They will not be able to stand accepted. They will not be able to stand as righteous in his sight. They are going to stand under the judgment of God, but not in the pleasure of God. So the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That at that time, they're going to, God is, Christ is going to separate those that are blessed versus those that are not. And those that are not going to be able to be in the congregation of the righteous. There's something here in verse six that really jumps out at me. It says, but the Lord knows. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. I want you to know that God knows you. You may come to our church and we've got hundreds of people that come here and you may go to your work and you may be just thinking that you're a number in this world, but God knows you. He knows the struggles. He knows the struggles that you have. He knows the pains that you have. He knows the fears that you have. He knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked he does not know and they will perish. This word perish is harsh. This is eternal damnation. I was talking with a friend the other day and they were asking, why doesn't God just annihilate people? And this friend struggles with people mistreating them and they get very angry. And I, I said, I want you to think about this. You get angry at the slights that are done to you. Some of them are pretty bad, but they're just slights, one sinner to another. I want you to think of a holy God who's given you everything that you ever uh, have, who's never done anything wrong to you, and every sin that you've ever committed against him is going against his glory over and over. And every human being that's ever lived has done that. And they have gone against the eternal glory of God. And that is worthy of eternal judgment. And in spite of that, the psalm is there to say, God is offering grace. God is saying that there are two people, but you can today repent. You're called to repent and believe that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father but by me. The beautiful grace of God, yes, by his initiative that he gives us, but we are called to respond. I want you to hear this, because I think that some people try to create a lower level. So they'll create the blessed Christian, and then there's a lower level Christian, and then there is the non-Christian. And if you are in Christ you're blessed. Yeah, amen. If you're in Christ, you have the stream. If you're in Christ, you are fruitful. You may not be seeing that fruit. We're all at different levels of maturity, but that's you. And you will help along that process by separating yourself from the world, by saturating yourself in his word and reminding your security is not going to come from earthly or human, other human beings. Your security is ultimately going to be coming from Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones had said that we make a mistake by 
listening to ourselves and not talking to ourselves. We make a mistake by listening to ourselves and not talking to ourselves. So it's not only just the world's counsel that's coming at us, it's the world's counsel that runs around in our minds. And oftentimes I'll sit down and talk to my clients about, is that life-giving thoughts that you're having? Is that God? Are those God's thoughts that you're having, that you're rolling around in your mind? It's not going to produce life. It's going to produce death. And this is not going to be easy. This meditation, you have to actually really saturate yourself over and over again. And uh, a lot of times people get frustrated because we're in such a microwave society. And it's, I read the passage, I read it a couple of times, James, I don't feel any better. And it's a feeling is not the primary goal. Uh, the primary goal is the glory of God. And God has chosen to give you a book to communicate to you. You communicate to him through prayer. He communicates to you primarily through a book. So learning this book will help you to love the book and will help you to live like the book. But greater than that, learning this book will help you to love the Christ and the Father and the Spirit and by the Spirit's power, live like him. So this week, what I want you to do for me is this. I want this, I really want Psalm 1 to become saturated in your mind. I really don't want there to be a day that you have not spent time praying this passage, personalizing this passage, uh, and pondering it over and over again. I want you to maybe at times speak to other people about the things that you learn from this passage. That's a way that you learn to memorize passages. I find that if you just meditate on something long enough, you start memorizing it. You start talking to other people, you're blessing them, but it's also helping to entrench that passage even deeper into your life. So do that. So let's pray here. Father, as we look at Psalm 1, the blessed person has separated themselves in some ways from the world. That they live in the world, and many of us are going to go to work tomorrow in the world, but they are not of the world. Father, help us to be those type of people. Father, not only that, they are um, saturated um, by your word. Lord, it's not enough just to, to dip our toe into your word. We need to jump in and like a long, hot bath, like under the waterfall of your grace, pour your grace upon us, Lord. But Father, it's not only that, we are secure in you. We have been uprooted and transplanted from the wilderness to the streams of living water. Father, help us to know that the fruitfulness that we have is because of your son. He's producing life in us. As Galatians says, we've been crucified with Christ. We don't live, but Christ lives in us. And the life we now live, we live by faith in the son of God who loves us and gave himself for us. Father, as we think about this passage as well, help us to think of the neighbors and our family members and our co-workers the people that we will rub shoulders with even in the next couple of days, the person that pumps our gas, the, the person at the cash register. Father, I hear this morning of one even in our congregation that was drawn to faith um, today. We praise you for that. And Father, I pray that we would be a gospel witness out to the world because there is a broad path that is leading to destruction and many are on it. So Father, help us to uh, be so thankful for the fact that you know us and that we know you. So help us to get to know you even more and learn about you and love you and live like you for the glory and honor of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings. This has been Lessons for Life with James Long Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.